following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Well, good morning. Mm. Um, I know maybe you uh, didn't hear uh, Noah so well, but it was wonderful. Good job, buddy. Mm. Well, I hope uh, you all have been um, enjoying the Advent devotional that we have been reading together this year, the Christmas we didn't expect. Um, it's not too late. Uh, the readings are short. You can catch up very quickly if you if you want to get a copy of that. Um, and uh, so I, I don't want to put anyone who has not been reading at a disadvantage, but uh, uh, maybe you can uh, maybe you be enticed to join in uh, uh, as we talk about it a little bit. I'm not preaching from it this morning, but. We'll make reference to it. I particularly enjoyed day two uh, when the author reminded us that Christmas is not just a celebration of Jesus' birthday, um, as if he didn't exist before, um, before his conception. But Christmas is a celebration of his incarnation, of taking on flesh. Yesterday's reading, what was the word that you didn't like, Sam, was infleshing. <laughs> it's kind of a weird, but that's what it is, taking, taking on flesh. Um, but he existed eternally before the night the Holy Spirit visited Mary. And before that day, he was born in a stable and laid in a manger. And it's that same idea that our text for this morning is centered around, and I don't think that's an accident. I didn't plan it, uh, but it's certainly not an accident. So we're going to look together at Mark chapter 12, verses 35 through 37, and that's page 849 in the Pew Bibles, if that's helpful. Um, So if you've joined us um, so far in the series in Mark, uh, you'll remember that Jesus has been fielding questions from the scribes and the Pharisees and the Herodians and the Sadducees, all the leading men of Israel. And their questions to Jesus had seemed to them to be quite clever, uh, maybe even unanswerable. They're, they're doing the lawyer thing, trying to set Jesus up by asking questions uh, but every time, instead of stumping Jesus, Jesus stumped them with his answers. And now it's time for Jesus to ask a question. Let's look at verse 35 of Mark 12. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, How can the scribes say, that the Christ is the son of David. David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David calls him Lord. So how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. 
Let's pray. Father, as we gather around your word this morning, whether here in this building or at home online, I pray that your people and all those who have gathered would be like the great throng that heard you gladly. I pray that our hearts would be open to the moving of your spirit this morning, that you speak to us through your word, for these are your words. And we look forward to hearing from you. Use this time for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. So, last week, if you remember, we talked a little bit about the the purpose of the law. uh, How the Jews saw the law as rules for living. um, How to please God and prove that you're worthy of his love. But the reality is that's not the purpose of the law at all. The law exists to expose our sin and our need for a savior. And Jesus, in our text here this morning, expands on that notion even more. He shows here that the whole Old Testament points to him and our need for him. The whole Old Testament points to his person and his work. And it also shows some rich theology as to who he really is and what his nature is and what the nature of the Bible is. So I want to look at these ideas um, in reverse order just quickly. First, the nature of the Bible. This, uh, these uh, verses show the nature of the Bible. First uh, Timothy, uh, sorry, Second Timothy, chapter three, verse sixteen and seventeen clearly says, "All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work." All Scripture. Uh, There's a very important Greek word translated all there. It means all. Exactly what it says. The whole Bible, were Old and New Testaments, were breathed out by God. They were inspired by God. This is very important. This is very important to us as followers of Christ. It's very important to us as a church family. This is why we treat the Bible the way that we do, because it is the very words of God. And he has a lot to say about us and him and our relation uh, to him and how we should live. But what does it mean that the Bible is breathed out by God, inspired by God? Well, I can tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that the individual authors of the 66 separate books contained in what we call the Bible. uh, It does not mean that those authors were just typewriters as as if uh, God's picking them up and and smashing the words out, and they're not really involved. They just were there, right? He didn't possess them 
like a ghost in the movies, to write it all down, right? Uh, and neither did he simply dictate the words, and they were just stenographers. I learned this week that that's uh, what the Muslims teach about the Quran, was that Allah dictated the Quran to Muhammad, and he just wrote it down. But that's not the way Scripture works. That's not what inspiration um, is. Is that God has spoke through the people, right? He didn't wipe out their personality. He didn't wipe out their style. If uh, if you look at the writing style of Paul versus the writing style of Luke versus the writing style of the author of Hebrews, they're very different. Paul goes like this. <laughs> Luke goes like this. Hebrews goes like this. It's just. They're they're different. If I were to write these words out, I write them in a certain way and you would write them differently because that's we are built different. And that's a good thing for you. Um, I, I forget that's only five of you here, so it's not going to get a lot of response to a funny joke. I will laugh myself so everyone knows it was funny. <laughs> laugh louder, please. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. Your your grace is very compelling. Uh, So God spoke through the people and they and as they wrote, it was as if they were writing the very words of God. Uh, and, And it is these words that he has preserved and he has been using to draw people to himself through faith for millennia. And Jesus recognized that the scriptures were inspired by God when he said in verse 36, David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies, until I put your enemies under your feet. Um, Other places this is quoted to put make your enemies your footstool. In fact, this verse from the Old Testament is the most frequent quoted verse from the Old Testament in the New Testament. It's quoted more than any other verse. That's just a freebie. Thank you. The scribes and the Pharisees also held that the scriptures were inspired by God. So this is no argument there that King David was speaking by the Holy Spirit when he wrote the Psalms. Still no argument there. What they didn't recognize was that this particular scripture was about Jesus. Jesus. And for those of you who are taking notes or wondering who it is I'm talking about, I'll do the best I can. <laughs> so the scribes are looking for a human king, a mere human successor to David's throne, who brought nothing more than human nature to a human kingdom. That's what they're looking for in the Messiah. So and I, I often say they're looking for a political Messiah to kick out Rome, right? They're looking for a human king to take over a human kingdom. But thanks be to God, that was not his design. John Calvin wrote, had Messiah been only a man, we would have no right to glory in him or to expect salvation from him. If Jesus was just a man, he would have failed as the kind of Messiah the scribes and the Pharisees were looking for anyway. And billions of people 
would have fallen for the greatest hoax in the history of mankind. But Jesus proved by his resurrection that he is not just a man, but that he is God. But he is also a man. <laughs> and that's what our Advent uh, devotional has been uh, centered on so far. The scribes were right when they said that the Christ is the son of David. The prophecies from the Old Testament told how Messiah was to be born from the house and line of David, how he was to be born in Bethlehem, the city of David, born of a virgin that is coming forth was from old, from ancient days. So in Jesus' riddle, is Christ the son of David? Is he the son of man? Yes, right? And the scribes agreed with that. And the scribes were half right. Jesus is, in fact, son of man. He was the son of David. And we talked about this a little bit at home and talking about these things that um, Jesus is son of David, just as I am son of um, Ephraim Keniston, right? My father's name is David. His father's name was Robert. But his great-great-great-grandfather's name was Ephraim, right? So I am just as much son of Ephraim as I am son of Robert or David. Understand that? So Jesus, son of David, he is in the line uh, of genealogy. Matthew chapter 1 outlines Jesus' genealogy from Abraham to David, uh, 14 generations from David to the deportation to Babylon, another 14 generations from the deportation to Babylon um, to Mary, Joseph, and Jesus, 14 generations. But what about Jesus' question? How can David call the Christ, who is supposed to be his son, his Lord? And this is where it's tricky. Uh, the simple, uh, simple answer is that he is both. Uh, Jesus, Messiah, is both David's son and David's Lord. But that answer is not so simple because it's not possible. Um, the word translated in our text, Lord, um, actually represents three different words in these three verses. Um, two Hebrew words and one Greek word. Uh, Psalm 110, which Jesus is quoting, the first Lord, as written in the Old Testament, is actually typed in all capitals, if you look it up in Psalm 110. If you look in the New Testament, it's not written that way. But in the Old Testament, in Psalms, you will see Lord, L-O-R-D, all capital letters. And every time you see this in the Old Testament, this is the Hebrew word Yahweh, right? This is the name God used, or the closest he gave to a name to Moses, speaking from the burning bush, I am that I am. That's what Yahweh means. So every time you see Lord in all capitals, it's the Hebrew word Yahweh. The second one, the second Lord in Psalm 110 is a different word. 
It is the Hebrew word Adon, or perhaps you're familiar with Adonai. It's uh, Adonai's plural, that's all. This is not a specific name, uh, but a word meaning one possessing absolute control, absolute power, master or ruler. So it's Yahweh said to my master is the Hebrew uh, tr- uh, translation of the Hebrew. Well, in our text in Mark, there is a third Lord, which is not from Psalm 110, but is uh, just Jesus speaking. And is a Greek word, kurios, which is used every time the New Testament uses the word Lord. So actually in Greek, instead of Yahweh, Adonai, kurios, it's just kurios, kurios, kurios. Because that's Greek, but don't complain because we have English, which is worse, way worse. So every time the New Testament uses the word Lord, no matter who the author is talking about, it simply means master. Um, And you're wondering, why is any of that important? Maybe you're not, but I'm going to pretend that you are. Why is any of that important? Well, it's important because in Psalm 110 that Jesus quotes, verse 1, David is not talking about himself. He's writing about the Father and the Son, calling the Son Lord, Master, Ruler. Now, you have to understand why this is impossible. We say, well, it's just words, right? Who cares? Well, no. Uh, You have to understand that a father, a king, can't ever be subordinate to his son. It just didn't work that way. Right. Um, None of David's children could have been his king. He would never call them Lord. He would never call them master because he was the king and they weren't king until he was dead. And then he's no longer subject to anybody's rules. (laughs) So in order for Christ to be David's son and David's Lord meant he needed to be something different. Something other than a natural son. Something other than a natural man. The long and the short of it is, the only possibility for David to call his son Lord meant that his son had to be God. J.P. Lang wrote, Christ as David's son and at the same time David's Lord could not be a man simply, though he is a real man. For David calls him not in a general way his Lord, but Lord, the Lord, directly and most positively. Psalm 110, David is declaring Messiah is God, that Jesus is God. David calls, David himself calls him Lord, Master. So how is he his son? This is the puzzle for the for the scribes. Robert Jameson wrote, there is but one solution to this difficulty. Messiah is at once inferior to David as his son, according to the flesh and superior to him as the Lord of a kingdom, which David is himself a subject, not the sovereign. 
the human and divine natures of Christ and the spirituality of his kingdom, of which the highest earthly sovereigns are honored if they be counted worthy to be its subjects, furnish the only key to this puzzle. I never really thought about it that way before, that David um, is a subject of this kingdom just as we are, not a sovereign of it. He is our brother because he is looking forward to Messiah. Jesus was asserting here that he is both son of man and son of God. He is fully God and fully man. And his church, his kingdom is safe through the protection of a heavenly and invincible king. Oh, why is that important? As Philippians 2 says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And in the words of David Mathis from day two of our Advent devotional, Christmas is far more than the celebration of a great man's birth. God himself, in the second person of the Godhead, entered into our space and into our frail humanity, surrounded by our sin, to rescue us. He came. He became one of us. God sent God. The Father gave his own Son for us and for our salvation. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, may your Son assume his rightful place in our hearts this Advent. At this most material time of year in our materialistic society, your son's pre-existence reminds us of his preciousness over every party and presence, over all the trees and trimmings. He is before and better than anything in this created world. Cause our hearts to swell in this season at the gift of the person of Christ as our greatest treasure. In his precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.